Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Peter Tottleman and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about pilgrimages, how, how to make one, um, different ideas for pilgrimages, um, things we've learned from being on various pilgrimages, and, and uh, just, just ways that these pilgrimages really are a little microcosm of our whole life, our whole journey toward God. Sure. Now, Father Peter, who's with us today, is getting ready to do the last 100 kilometers of the Camino of Santiago de Compostela. Yeah, we're going on a, on a little Camino. Um, a little the, Camino. The group I'm going with said, oh, we're only going 100 kilometers, which is about 62 miles. And I was like, oh, that's enough. <laughs> 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 but I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because I've heard so many good things about it. And I'm also a relative pilgrimage novice. Yeah. Um, I went to Lourdes, uh, which was beautiful. Uh, and had a good time. But apart from that, I'm pretty much uh, not very practiced in the art of pilgrimaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have with us uh, another priest here, Father Stephen Dominic, who is a master in the art of pilgrimaging. <laughs> and uh, so I'm actually kind of, I actually just came along to the recording to learn from him. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've had the opportunity over many years of priesthood, of course, to uh, be able to uh, make a number of pilgrimages. Uh, the so I've been to the Holy Land five times. The first time was actually uh, included uh, Egypt, uh, Greece, and Rome, as well as the Holy Land. Sure, so it was like a New Testament pilgrimage. Yeah, it was like three weeks with a bunch of priests and and religious sisters. Yeah, uh, it was the most. Fr- it was the it no, it was a, a frustrating one, shall we say? I've been to Medjugorje. I've been to uh, to Loch Derg. I've been four times, four times to Loch Derg in the St. Patrick's Purgatory in Ireland, and I've been to Croapadrig once, uh, which is the island, the uh, mountain on which Patrick wrestled with uh, the spiritual powers yep. uh, for before, for forty days before he came down to do his ministry in Ireland. Uh, we have, let's see, I've been to Rome a couple of times. I let's see. And Lourdes, right? And I've been to Lourdes, yes. Thank you, twice. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've, I've had an opportunity. One of the things I love about pilgrimage is that it is a microcosm of the entire Christian life. Sure. And it's always been so. Sure. Uh, it has deep biblical roots. The people of God were called out to wander. Mm-hmm. Okay? They were summoned out of the slavery of Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea, the figure for baptism. They received the law of God. You know, they're confirmation, if you will, as a people of God and of shape of worship at mm-hmm. Mount Sinai, and then wandered in the desert until they were ready to go up and seize under Joshua, cross the Jordan into the Holy Land and seize the promises that God had made to Abraham. 
Absolutely. And of course, that whole biblical story, um, that whole biblical story then is, is been traditionally seen by the church as an allegory for each one of our lives right. on earth. Right. I think even deeper with Abraham. You know, sure. Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of his mm-hmm. comfort zone. He's called to leave his family and and uh, and his father. You know, the people who uh, this is traditionally seen the area where we leave behind our sins. You know, because I mean, as I've said frequently when I'm preaching to people, you know, where where did you learn to who from whom did you learn to swear? Where did you hear your first swear words? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and the third one is to go into land he would show you. And one of the things about going on pilgrimage is it's always an adventure. You never know what's going to happen on a pilgrimage. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing myself. <laughs> uh, there is a thing called you know, for your brain called neuroplasticity. Okay. And it uh, responds well by new circumstances and the opportunity to repeat, uh, repeat experiences. Mm. So in one sense, your repeated pilgrimages do both. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that's just neuroscience, but the real work is on the spiritual side. Sure, and that is uh, to find yourself, as I said, set for adventure. You're out of your. You're like Abraham. You've been called out of your your comfort zones. But Ur is such a lovely city, Father. It's full of pagans. <laughs> okay, it's full of horrible abominations. You remember, Father? I live with priests. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's. Uh, sorry, sorry. I'm, let's I'm kind let's of... keep let's keep focus, Peter. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, for me, of course, one of the I think people have asked me which of these pilgrimage sites I like best, and it's hard to say because each of them is dear to me in a different way. You know, there is a a wonderful cleansing of the soul at Loch Derek. You know, at the Patrick's Purgatory. Maybe tell people a little bit about that. Oh well, yeah. So. so uh, there's actually a, this place has been a special place, time out of mind. It's a lake which has a couple of islands in it. It used to be uh, friaries uh, for Augustinian monks, and then well, there was a smaller island where monks also lived for a while. But the real association with that is uh, it was here that St. Patrick, uh, there was a cave. Actually, if I can back up, he slew one of the uh, supernatural beasts that was inhabiting the area in Olfest. And there's a story that goes back to Finn McCool about that, but I have no time for this on the phone, on the, on this show. Uh, um, but at any rate, uh, he slew the Olfest, you know, and this is why the, uh, which had been from the first encounter with the, the pagan warriors, which had been bleeding in the lake for centuries. So the lake is actually red in color. The water is reddish in color. And uh, the boatmen who bring you over to the Holy Island will point out the bones of the Olfest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just underneath the water, you know, sure. petri- petrified. But the the place is a place to have life. Uh, Patrick, uh, by tradition, spent time in the cave that had been there and had visions of heaven, hell, and purgatory. And so it's been a place ever after that the Irish have come. To and now many people from other places now that they're finding out about it to do penance. So the first thing you do get into the island is you take off your shoes, and you don't put them on until you get off it. So the first day, uh, there's also a series of beds and stony beds. Uh, these are the remains. These are the remains of old monastic cells, sure. and each one is named for a, a different saint. Mm-hmm. You know, are they saints that we would know the names of? Or are Saint they Catherine oh, okay. of Alexandria. I thought they might be like obs- Some, obscure to us Celtic the, saints. They're not obscure to me. Uh, <laughs> well, obscure to me Celtic yes, saints. That's right. So, like Saint Bridget and um, Saint. Uh, let's see. What are some of the others? 
uh, St. Brendan, I think, has sure. a bed. But the the idea is that you you walk a um, Saint, um, you you walk around each of the of the uh, the little huts. So it, it it varies. The first thing you do is you go and uh, pray for the Holy Father in the in the basilica. You go to a ninth century pillar, pray for the Holy Father. Uh, you say in our Father Hail Mary and, a, and a, an Apostles' Creed. You then go and stand with to Saint Bridget's cross, which is built into the wall of basilica, thirteenth century cross carved. You stretch out your arms and renounce three times the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say the rosary, say, uh, walking around the basilica seven times. Uh, and then uh, you go to each of the beds at which you uh, recite the Our Father, Hail Mary, and the Glory Be a certain number, a prescribed number of times. Usually it's, uh, uh, I think it's three. I, as I said, if I know you're going to ask me the question. I looked up the exact uh, devotion for the viewers. But uh, anyway, so you, so you do a bunch of these, and then you go stand at the lakeside, seven Our Fathers, seven Hail Marys, the Apostles' Creed. Stand in the lake, seven Our Fathers, seven Hail Marys, the Apostles' Creed, and go back to St. Patrick's Calm, Our uh, Father, you know, uh, Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, and go, and then you're done. That's one passage of the stones. So you have to do this barefoot nine times in the course of your pilgrimage. Sure. Mm. And so you can, after you've had, you come up fasting, you also have to fast on bread and water for the entire time. So you can have your first bread and water meal after you make the stations once in the first day. There's mass at 6 o'clock at night, mass at 6 o'clock in the morning, so you're two masses in the day. No sleep for the first night you know, that you're on the island. In the morning, uh, you, uh, again, make the continue making your rounds as you're able to do so. But then there is, uh, you have the opportunity to make life-changing confessions. Saturday morning, you renew your baptismal vows, and um, the stations, and then there's the stations of the cross. So uh, you have, and then mass again is six o'clock, and then you for the, you can go to bed for the first time. Mm-hmm. And what, do you, the, what do you do all night when you're not sleeping? You 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 make the stations, you make your stations the inside the church. Oh, so as you don't fall over things. Yeah, I, sure. originally, yeah, originally, but, and this substitutes for being lowered into the cave and having it sealed over you, which was the older devotion. Ooh. But the, during the Protestant Reformation, the British came and destroyed the cave, the holy cave. Sure. So now we use the basilica instead. Yeah. But it's a wonderful place. It's a great holiness. So, you keep silence, uh, except in the, there's some sheds where you can smoke and talk. What's the name of this place again? Uh, St. Patrick's Purgatory, or Loch Derg. How do you spell that? L-O-U-G-H-D-E-R-G. Okay, you know, just people. Sometimes people punch things into their phones. Yeah, that's so, right. right. Yeah, Loch yeah. So, you know... The Red Lake. Yeah, so if you want a very Irish penitential experience, if mm-hmm. you want Irish purgatory, now you know where to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, although, although Mount Eagle, you know, the, where Patrick was, because that's all covered with gravel pits all the way up. Sure. It's a six-mile ascent. And uh, you can see, of course, the whole of Western Ireland from the top. It's a real eagle's view of it. You can see, uh, uh, but the thing is, going up, it was the real, the real pain, because I was, I was uh, disappearing. My ankles were disappearing into the gravel pits. Well, sure. And I, because I'm a big guy. I mean, little tinker girls were running up the hill, you know, uh, barefoot doing this. But I'm, I'm sinking into the ground, you know. Yeah. So uh, remind I, me before we finish to tell a funny story about that. But sure. No, no not I, now. I actually have a question. Yeah. Um, well, so first, yeah. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we reset? But 
You're listening to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio today by Father Peter Tottlebin and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. And we've been discussing pilgrimages, how to make them, how they are a microcosm of our own journey to God. So I have a question for you. So, like, God is everywhere. Right. right? And he's just as he's just as he's just as present here as um, he is other places. Uh, And uh, also, I mean, the opportunities for penance are available everywhere. I mean, I live with seven priests, so I don't have to go far if I want to live a life of penance. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha ha. Um, so, 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 um, what, what's the value in pilgrimages? I'm just thinking of a story. I remember when I was in college, uh, there was world youth day was in Toronto Mm -hmm. and which is not far from where I grew up. It's like world youth day is, it was less than four hours from my house Mm -hmm. and not likely to get any closer than that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I wanted to go to world youth day. My parents said, you're going to go four hours just to go to church. They still have church here the same as they have church everywhere else, and you need money. So you're going to get a job and go to work. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, uh, so, but, but I mean, that's kind of facetiously, but I guess the point I'm putting is like, there's penance here, there's mass here, um, there's. But you have your God parents here. there. Well, yeah, there's that. And, no, what I mean is, pilgrimage is a break okay. from all this. It shatters the comfortable world that you've had. I mean, in the old days, like, if you made a pilgrimage to Rome from, say, Sweden, like you find in the, you know, the uh, Sigrid Unset yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uns- uns- no- novels, you know, you were away for years. Mm-hmm. You know, you took a time off from for years just to be with God, to seek out God, to walk where he walked, to see the things he saw, and to, and it thickens your experience of the scriptures. You know, the food is different. Sure. You know, we have had people, you know, on the Holy Land pilgrimages who just can't get used to, like, having, you know, uh, a, a Middle Eastern breakfast. There's usually an American-style breakfast, which is usually, I find, horrid, because they're not good at pork, cooking quick, American food. Well, especially pork products. Sure. Oh, well, yeah. You right. know, because nobody eats pork out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. When I went to Lourdes, I ate a lot of French fries. Okay. <laughs> I was <laughs> just saying, well, you said well, foods are foods, right? Yeah, foods, food is different, but... <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, uh, but, yeah, the joke experience. was the yeah. joke was on my last trip. You know, what's the lunch menu today? Well, it was every day. It was the same lunch menu wherever we went. We were offered a choice of falafel or chicken shawarma. Sure, you know, which is great. But as I said, you are out of your comfort zone, and uh, when you're there, you're open to, as I said, to these adventures to God speaking to you in ways that He. It's hard for Him when you're in your usual rut. Mm. And I remember, and sometimes they're, they're experiences that you can't have anywhere else. Sure. I mean, to for me to celebrate Mass as I have mm-hmm. on the stone from which our Lord rose on Easter. Sure. To kiss that stone in the course of the Mass. Mm-hmm. And and like one time I was I was doing this, and it really hit me powerfully because I'm I'm uh, I get I had got the a Franciscan who speaks Italian. I don't speak Italian. I should sure. have some Spanish, but I was understanding him, but not well. And he wouldn't use Latin. Anyway, he's uh, he tells me at the time at after, at the uh, after the Our Father time to go out to the people because I celebrate Mass inside the tomb, so they don't see me for all of the Mass. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So now I, I'm singing so they can hear me. But you know, anyway, so I go out and there's the Franciscan community 
It was a Sunday Mass I was celebrating. There is my pilgrimage group, all, a lot of other pilgrimage groups, all smiling at me as I'm coming out of Christ's tomb, bearing the sacred host in mm-hmm. my hand, and I hold him up, and I say, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden I said, Oh my heavens, I just became the angel of resurrection. Because sure. I'm saying, here he is. See the tomb behind me? He's not there. Mm-hmm. He's not there. He is risen. He is among you. And he is veiled here under the appearance of bread. The way he w- his divinity was veiled before the eyes of his disciples, before Mary Magdalene, on the day of Easter. And they had to look past and see that God was before them. That uh, And the prophecy of what God would do in them, before them. You know, and uh, the promise of what God will do in us in this new manna he gives us as he leads us into the world to come. I'll concede that we don't have that in Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. True enough. So, so Father Peter's getting ready to go to the Camino of Santiago, and I, was, I, did, the last, I did that same thing the last sure. 100 kilometers. And one of our other confreres, Father, Father Thomas Blau, did the whole thing. Sure. Um, so, and I remember one thing that we learned, that kind of pilgrimage, especially when you're doing it on foot, um, uh, we, when we got to the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, and uh, we got a little talk from one of the priests who was on staff there, which he gives sure. talks to pilgrims. He said, there's two things you learn at the end of a, of a pilgrimage, at least at the end of the Camino. One is that you realize how important it is of the people that you're with. Sure. You know, uh, those could be, and, and the Camino often is people you just meet, could be from anywhere on the planet. You know, how important that is. Just you, you meet people that you would never see mm-hmm. otherwise in your life. And yet, how many of us don't even know our own neighbors? You know, the second thing he said is when you're unpacking your backpack, you realize, wow, I never used this. Oh, I never actually needed this. Oh, I didn't use this either. Oh, I could have left this one at home. Mm -hmm. You realize how simple life can be. You know, those two things, your communion with your fellow pilgrims and simplicity of life. And I think those are two things that a pilgrimage can teach you. There it is. Yeah. So uh, an experience of the church worldwide and experience of the church just its globe globalness its mm-hmm. catholicity and experience of its communion simplicity of life a sort of allegory for our our overall lifelong pilgrimage that we have on this earth mm-hmm. uh the opportunity to break free of maybe patterns that are holding us back in our spiritual life and focus more intently on god our um, need for others our need, our for, need others. for others you know whom god places in our life for sometimes the darndest reasons yeah so some good features of some good features of pilgrimaging so when I the story I wanted to tell sure. was when I was going up Loch uh, Mount Eagle, you know, mm-hmm. St. Patrick, uh, the yeah. uh, the uh, Crow Pothrig is the Irish name for it. I'm so the, I'm going up and I'm got, I'm sinking into all those gravel pits, and uh, so the young people who are with me very nicely take my mass kit and so forth and run ahead, of course, mm-hmm. and go up. Of course, and I'm slogging up the hill six miles through the gravel pits, and as I'm coming down, you know, the the Irish are saying, "Oh, Father, you know, good." Good job for you. You know, keep going. I said, how long is it to the top? He says, uh, uh, maybe about half an hour, Father, or so, something like that. I, I go up. Another half hour passes. There's still no end to the mountain. It seems to just, it's getting steeper and steeper and steeper sure. as I approach the summit. And the gravel pits are getting worse. How they keep coming down, you know. You know, you know keep it up, Father. Not too long. Maybe a half hour from this time on. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm just... You know, I'm just cursing at the light underneath of the lying <laughs> Irish around me. And I go up, and it's, of course, beautiful. You know, as I said, oh, yeah. we got there. I celebrate Mass for my pilgrimage group. 
And then, of course, you have to go down again. And it's a little more complicated going down because you can't go down. You're going down and it's you can fall yeah, easier exactly, and so yeah. forth. At any rate, so um, – and everybody's carrying walking sticks to negotiate oh, sure, the thing. At any rate, so I'm going down and as I'm coming up, I'm sort of by myself again because my whole team is sort of fleet-footedly run down to the bottom of the mountain. And I'm working my way down uh, safely and I see this big woman coming up and she's she's using two sticks – as if they're like ski poles, yeah, trying to work her way through that. And she's a big woman; she's bigger than me. And uh, and she, uh, I, I greeted her as she come down. She said, "Oh, Father, you're an American. I am too. You know, Father, I'm really afraid." I said, "She says uh, my group has gone above me. I'm alone here on the mountainside. I mean, and uh, you know, I'm really worried." I, and I said, "God forgive me." I said, "You know, don't worry." Keep slogging at it. It's maybe a half hour to the top. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> and I realize we're there to encourage each other. Now, maybe sure. for one of those 16-year-old you know, traveler girls, it was a half hour at the top. So maybe it was, they weren't lying to me exactly. But uh, I think the point was to keep the courage up. Mm-hmm. Keep us all right. moving on this pilgrimage that we're all making mm-hmm. in deeper into the heart of Christ, mm-hmm. deeper into the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what are, I just since you Father Hayes, um, since you've been on so many pilgrimages, I know that one temptation on a pilgrimage uh, uh, is that people go. This is oh, it's kind of a place to go sightseeing and go mm-hmm. shopping, you know. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of pilgrimage places do have the material aspect to them, you know, all kinds of gift shops and right. What, yeah. What what are your recommendations? To someone that's going on a pilgrimage to keep keep the right end in mind. Well, I think. I mean, we're religious, so it's a little different for us. But I do think sometimes if you're a layperson, you do go home. People do want to take, to have something to bring. Sure. To be, to, to, they can't go. You went. Mm-hmm. You're the privileged person. However you got there, right. you may have begged your way over over to the hall. You know, maybe going by foot on the Camino, but. Glommed on to a group who needed a chaplain. Something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever works. And, uh, but sometimes I think the I think you just have to be selective. You have to be selected. There are there are some beautiful things in the Holy Land, and the sales of goods in the Holy Land do help the people there. Right now, I think you have to be sensible and and be careful. You know, I uh, I know somebody, a cleric who, not myself, who bought a shemach, you know, a kafia, which is these uh, the uh, hats, the uh, scarves, kind of things mm-hmm. that. Uh, well, you know, so he paid forty dollars for this and. He gets on the bus very proudly with it, and I said, "Oh, that's good." I said, "How much did you pay?" She said, "He said forty dollars." He says, "I can get that in the states and Amazon for ten. <laughs> okay, but you're helping and the it, Holy Land Christians. But well, if if he was a Christian, because not all the vendors are necessarily sure. Christian. So it, so I'm just saying. Now I did buy from an Armenian vendor mm-hmm. two very f- lovely silver crosses mm-hmm. uh, shaped for Jerusalem, which I was a- were able to give my, to my surviving aunts, who were very oh, appreciative. Mm-hmm. But that's something small; it can be carried, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you know, so it's, so it'll go through customs. To going to getting gifts for people mm-hmm. that yeah. can't go. Yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful thing if you can do it. They're very appreciative always. And some of them are not that expensive. All wood rosaries, if you shop around, are not that expensive. I mean, in terms of just keeping the spiritual aspect of it mm-hmm. at, the, at the forefront, I mean, I found that like doing even before you leave for the pilgrimage, if it's if you're traveling to get mm-hmm. there, it can be really helpful to like read up on it, to research. Oh, it, absolutely. You know, to know yeah. what you're seeing because sometimes it's like 
when you get back, oh, I was there and I had no idea what I was looking right, at. Yeah. I would have spent more time on this instead of going yeah. there. In the Holy Land, if you've got Christian guides, they're very good. They get they get certified in that stuff. And uh, and sometimes, although sometimes you know it's sort of funny if you've done your research, you can even surprise your guide sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that uh, when I was looking at Bethlehem. One of the things about Bethlehem, it's nine miles from. Jerusalem and Jerusalem at Passover time, uh, uh, Flavius Josephus says that yep. you'd have two hundred thousand lambs sacrificed yep, yep. for Passover. Where would you store them in the city? Mm-hmm. You don't. You store them on, on on at places where you can keep the sacrifices at a distance, and that is Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So the shepherds who watched by night were not just over over any lambs; they were sure. the sacrificial mm-hmm. lambs. And of course, when you think of Christ being born there. The sacrificial land. Sure. Wow. It puts a whole new light on everything you're seeing. And my guide hadn't heard that one. But of course, you're Stephen Dominic Hayes, and there's only five things that you don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're excessively kind. <laughs> well, I have to repay Lord. you for all of the. I have to repay you for all of the the ribbing I've been giving you. Also, all of the Irish jokes I was thinking while you were telling your stories. There you go. There it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to sum up, we've learned that. Um, are any pilgrimage you go on, it takes you out of your comfort zone, yeah. out of your own land. It kind of, you know, helps you to to detach from some things. You can focus on on a new experience. It, it humbles you. It makes you depend upon other people, your fellow pilgrims. Um, it it helps you to uh, simplify your life sometimes yeah. because you can't bring everything with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it it forces you to uh, to meet other people. It reminds you that. Um, we're part of a worldwide church, mm-hmm. you know, not not just. It makes your religious experiences also uh, thicker if and it's, more if it's memorable. A, if it's the Holy Land, well, not just the Holy yeah. Land, but Lourdes to see the miracles that go on mm-hmm. in Lourdes, mm-hmm. to see the, uh, as I said, to just you know find yourself among the Irish monastic saints, mm-hmm. you know, doing that hard penance, standing in the lake, you know, mm-hmm. um, all these things to to be where Christians have been before. And to taste the richness of it, I, um, I remember in the, seeing the Book of Kells, you know, mm-hmm. and looking on that page written by the hands of saints, mm-hmm. you know, who were putting to paper St. Jerome's stories, mm-hmm. you know, his translation, with the memories of the apostles. I remember reading in the, in the story of Jesus casting the, the spirits out of the, out of the pigs and going over and saying, why oh, heavens, this, a chain of, like, this is a written gospel. The work, the care, the connection that I have mm-hmm. in the use of these things and seeing these things. And, uh, and Christ comes so close. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott. I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I've been joined in the studio today by Father Peter Tottleman and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's now end in prayer to St. Dominic. O light of the, the church, church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely hath poured forth the waters of wisdom, preacher of grace, unite us to the blessed. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. 